This is the Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck Podcast. Every game. You are going to go back to throw the ball. Sets up, look, throws toward the corner of the end zone. It is intercepted. Intercepted. And it's in the ball. Every story. If we just continue to push and grind and go and take care of our guys, it's going to be built to last. The Scoop Duck Podcast. Scoop Duck owner, Justin Hopkins. And Matt Bagley from 96.1, 580, The Game. What a way to start the pod. How about this? Matt Bagley, Justin Hopkins, Scoop Duck and Hi-Fi. And we got a guest on the phone line, Aaron Feld, Duck Strength Coach. How you doing, Coach? What up? How's, uh, how's Triceps Tuesday going for you guys, or whatever it is? Uh... We uh we train our arms every day, so it's not really a special occasion. Oh, okay. And uh, it should be worth noting that that Coach Feld was also joined by Coach Williams, Coach Shad Williams, on the podcast. Coach, how you doing? I'm good. What's going on? Nothing, nothing. We're 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 glad to have you, and uh, we want to talk uh, to the two of you about uh, just you know what's been going on in the fourth quarter program. Uh, I think you guys are about wrapped up, or maybe have one more practice left as we're recording this. Uh, with that in mind, and uh, I guess for starters, just you know, talk to us maybe a little bit, uh, you know, whichever you want to handle it. Uh, what's been the biggest changes between year one and year two of this strength program? Uh, you know, the fourth quarter program you've been able to bring in. I think uh, the biggest thing is the total volume. Um, you know, our, our program's based on accumulated load o- over time, and um, at first, you know, when you when you start loading uh, it with running and change the direction, all that stuff, you know, your body can only handle so much. Um, but as your training age increases or your training age within a program increases, uh, your body can start to handle more load, um, not just at one time, but cumulative, cumulatively throughout the week. Uh, and so what we've been able to do uh, is operate at higher loads uh, for longer durations uh, throughout the entire week. And so, you know, our guys were ready. Our guys were ready for spring practice. Uh, you know, now, whereas, you know, whereas last last year, you know, it was a couple of practices in before we were really in the kind of shape that we needed to be in to practice uh, at the pace and tempo that Coach Cristobal wants to practice. Coach, you mentioned that improved pace, getting ready for spring ball. Let's fast forward now. How do you think you can use that time when it's freed up later in the program? Uh, well, I mean, it's it's not going to necessarily shorten anything by working at a faster pace. It's going to increase the amount of work that we're going to be able to do. Um, so I guess to answer your question, we'll, it'll give us more time to do more work. Um, you know, football is a comprehensive sport. Uh, you have acceleration, deceleration, change of direction, um, linear speed, jumping, uh, flipping, moving, every, I mean, every, every movement pattern that you can imagine. And the more time you can spend in the – football specific movement patterns that you can that you can uh the more ready that these guys are going to be um to play football uh you know come september one one thing i want to ask uh you know coach feld i think we're going to get into coach williams after this but coach feld uh what how does your uh, obviously the strength conditioning coach but how does your role some sort of change or how does the program sort of change coming from winter workouts into spring ball what do you do differently is your time allotted differently what what are some of the things to look out for there well, you know, obviously uh, NCAA has rules and regulations for what a strength coach can and can't do, uh, but operating within those 
uh, within those constraints and rules, uh, we do everything that we can uh, all the time. So from, you know, nothing changes from a, from an attitude and effort and intensity standpoint, uh, our roles just kind of fade the background. Um, you know, we basically, you know, become equipment managers at practice and uh, we, you know, we run around and bring juice and, you know, we, we're not allowed to coach drills or, or, you know, effectively teach football skills, but, you know, um, encouraging guys to go hard, uh, co- constantly keeping good body language, vigilant eye on guys who, who may be struggling, you know, an extra set of eyes to help our athletic trainers uh, see guys that may, may be struggling with something. Um, that, that gives us, um, you know, from a safety aspect, that's our number one priority, you know, all year. So uh, from that aspect, nothing really changes, uh, we, but we do take a, a you know, backseat to uh, the skills development of football-specific movement that the coaches take over. So, uh, Coach, I, I want to hear this question from you, and then I want to move uh, into Coach Williams and get and get uh, get some insight into into Shad there. And uh, my biggest question that I want to ask you here is: What is the University of Oregon? What are you, strength coaches? What are we doing differently than other programs in the Pac-12 or around the country? I think the number one thing that we do different, uh, and maybe not necessarily different, but better. Uh, is 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 being real with these guys um, you know it's it, a lot of times as a strength coach you you say what you need to say to get the result that you need to get um, and, and to me a lot of times that comes out to be you know the, the minimum as a coach you know that not every every player wants to know that the deep science behind what we're doing however if you can help them learn a little bit of the basics of why we do what we do they can begin to take ownership in the program itself uh, and when they start to understand it at a fundamental level, you know, they can make changes and they can, uh, you know, change their attitude, effort, and intensity uh, as it's, uh, you know, and as it's appropriate, necessary, you know, sometimes without a coach specifically um, putting their hands on them and, and explaining it to them at that moment. And so I think we do a much better job uh, than average of educating our players on why we do what we do. And a lot of that is the mindset training that we do. You know, we spend a couple of days a week meeting, uh, teaching these guys how to form habits, teaching these guys, you know, what exactly what, you know, when we, we give them phrases and, and coaching points in the weight room, but, you know, but we break those down at a fundamental level, what they mean. And so we're all speaking the same language. Uh, and when you have a, a group of players who are willing to learn that language uh, and then speak it fluently in the weight room and, and on the practice field, um, you know, it really increases um, your productivity by, by eliminating mental false steps and having guys having to figure stuff out on the fly when they're supposed to be operating at a high level. I kind of like that idea, right? Everybody knows English, and then we got to teach them weightlifting as well, so they get a little foreign language experience. Absolutely. <laughs> um, like Justin alluded, Coach, we want to know about, a little bit more about Coach Williams. Uh, Coach Williams, it, it cracks me up because – when Coach Feld came to Oregon, it was like 24 hours later. Everybody's taking selfies with this guy, and we all knew him from having the mustache on national TV. But I don't think a lot of fans know about you. Can you tell us about your background and just how you got to Oregon? Uh, well, um, it, it's it's funny that you, you mentioned that because I was actually in the store uh, the other day, and I had a lady come up to me, and she kind of points at me. And I'm kind of sitting there waiting for her to say something. And she says, hey, uh, don't you work with the guy with the mustache? The guy that that yells and the the weightlifting guy with the mustache. You you work with him, don't you? And I was like, "Uh, yes, ma'am, I do. And she's like, 
oh my god i just love his videos on twitter i follow him <laughs> he's just he's just so much fun and i just enjoy watching his watching him on twitter and i'm just like yes ma'am yes ma'am and she's like all right that's awesome you have a good day <laughs> uh, yes ma'am you too you too it, it was good talking to you good talking to you uh but it, it's it's no secret. We uh, I think we all uh, we all know that you know Coach Phil, and um, I, I think uh, it, it's safe to say he, he he's the face of the strength conditioning program, uh, as he should be. Um, but I, I met Coach Feld about two years ago at a conference, and uh, with with him being from uh, from Birmingham and uh, and me playing college football at Alabama, we we sat down and we talked and we just. Uh, just kind of had a lot of the same stories and same ideas. And um, uh, I guess I didn't realize it at the time, but it, it's, it, as it turns out, I was, I was interviewing. And uh, we didn't talk anything about strength and conditioning. Uh, we didn't really talk anything about football. We were just talking about life. And uh, we, had, uh, uh, we shared a lot of the same stories, had a lot of the same outlooks uh, in regards to, you know, uh, how you treat people and, and interacting with people. And here I am at the University of Oregon. Uh, that, that's a great opening story, by the way, coach, uh, way, way to come in there. Um, you know, one of the things, you know, I think it's important, obviously I know, and, 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 you know, we've had coach fell on a couple of times and he's always giving credit, you know, to you. And he was giving credit to coach file while he was here before leaving for Maryland and, and coach Davis and, and all this is the support personnel. So, uh, you know, we kind of, I, I know that you're in, I guess you're in a support role or however you want to label it. And that's probably not, not accurate, but from a day-to-day basis, what are some of the things that you're doing, uh, you know, with the young man and the program and, and, and kind of explain your job a little bit day-to-day? Well, my job is, is, is to try to stay one step ahead of Coach Feld, which it, it gets very interesting sometimes because, as you know, Coach Feld goes 100 miles an hour. So I have to go like 105 miles an hour <laughs> to stay ahead of him. Um, but, you know, my job is just, you know, like I said, uh, as, as an assistant in a, in a support role, uh, whether it's myself or whether it's Coach Eden, Coach Kagey, uh, Coach Davis, and, and even Coach Fall when he was here, is our job is to make Coach Fell's job as, as easy as possible. Uh, Coach Fell uh, is involved in a lot of aspects uh, of things that go on in this organization. So really my job is to try to take as much off his plate as possible and, and try to make his job as easy uh, as it can be. That way he can be effective and, and run this program um, the way it's supposed to be run. So, uh, so Coach, I'm going to put you on the, on the hot seat here. And, uh, and I, did, I did, I'm not going to lie, full disclosure, I gave Coach Feld a heads up. I'm going to let him off the hook easy this time. <laughs> but you're, unfortunately, you're going to fall on that hot seat. So. Uh, I know everybody shows up and works hard, and you guys have everybody go in the right direction, and everything's you know moving smoothly, efficiently as hoped for. But I need you to try and come up with a few names of guys that have really pushed themselves, just really grown this winter, you know, really kind of taken this and ran with it. You know, are there a couple of guys that in your mind just man, this guy's you know really growing, really just taking on this program, and and you could see his body changing. I need a few names, unfortunately, and and you're the guy, Coach Shaw. That's fine. Everyone, I mean, as a program, we have have taken the next step and we have evolved. So I I feel like everybody has gotten better. But, you know, some guys that just stick out to me, uh, you know, off the top of my head, uh, Brandon Schooler, 
uh, Shane Lemieux, Hanson, those guys show up, I mean, every single day, and they're going to give you everything they got. Uh, uh, the newcomer, uh, you know, newcomers, uh, Josh Delgado, uh, Drew Mathis, uh, those guys have really have really shown up this offseason and just kind of uh, taking steps. Uh, Javon Holland uh, is another guy that shows up every day um, and goes as hard as he can and, and really pushes himself and really tries to elevate um, the play and the, and the work ethic of everyone around him. So those are some guys um, just off the top of my head that I can think of that, that really show up every day and push themselves and, and really and really want this team um, to go to the next level, and they're, and they're willing to do whatever they can to make that happen. I love hearing that, Javon Holland especially. Uh, guys, the last time we spoke with Coach Feld, he told us that he was visiting with the Rams and getting to see how the NFC champs did their thing. Were there any lessons from that trip that you could impart to the way you prepare Oregon football? Yeah, there's a reason why the Rams went as deep into the playoffs as they did. It's because they train. And when I went down there, I watched them train. It would have basically been a Wednesday for us, um, you know, for, for a college schedule. It would have been a Wednesday for us. And every single guy on their team, quarterback included, was getting after it in the weight room, lifting heavy, moving at a fast pace. Wow. Uh, and it just confirms that, you know, what we do is on, on, on target. I know that the Patriots lift heavy. Uh, in the late, late in all, late in the end season, you know they were quoted as having back squatted, you know, like 82 percent of their one rep max the week of the Super Bowl a couple years ago. And if you're you're basically picking, you know, two two teams that go that that deep into the, into the deal, um, it's no surprise, no secret why why they make it as far as they do. Is that an element, you know, what, where, obviously you went to go and do, you know, betterment of, of your career and, and learn uh, professionally. You know, what, was, were those a couple of things that you kind of took away and said, hey, you know, Coach Cristobal, we really need to, you know, maybe do these two things or learn how to implement, implement them. Was that something that you brought away from that? Well, just to clarify, the only reason I went down to the Rams was to elevate the, the University of Oregon and to, to expand our, our our understanding of strength and conditioning so I can better serve these players. Sure. Um, but the, the second part of that is um, really what I took away from my time down there is that we're on the right track. Great. Um, you know, I, I don't, I don't go and learn from other people and take their stuff back and implement it, uh, you know, off of a piece of paper or off of spending time with one person. What I do is I take concepts and we bring it back, and my staff and I sit down and we develop the concepts in the in the image of the University of Oregon. Um, you can't plug and play uh, NFL stuff in college. You can't plug and play other colleges stuff at your college. You have to take concepts and ideas, and you have to develop them. Um, you know, I just recently brought in you know Jeff Eaton uh, from Purdue uh, and Reed Keggy uh, from Iowa State, and these guys have already stepped in along with coach Williams and coach Davis. And we've, we've changed some of the things that we're doing that, that, you know, they're passionate about certain things that they do and did and, and have seen work. And I've always been a firm believer of, all right, if you disagree with something we're doing or think we can do something better, convince me, you know, uh, if I'm doing something incorrectly, prove me wrong. And, and, and that's, we have a staff now that, you know, that operates at a high level and is not afraid to step up and, and speak their piece and, and press for what they feel is the best thing for these players. 
Excellent. No, that's uh, that's excellent to hear. Uh, Coach Shaw, I know you guys have, uh, both you coaches have a lot of things going on today, and we were lucky to get 15 minutes of your time. So I want to send uh, I want to send Coach Shaw. I, I would Coach Williams, excuse me. I'd like to send you out on this. Uh, I heard a rumor. Uh, rumor has it that you know you've got a really enjoyable welcome for guests into the locker room of Oregon. And I was really curious to kind of hear that. What's that now? Well, I, my understanding is when young men show up at the uh, at the University of Oregon in the locker room, you've got a really awesome greeting for them when they show up. Oh yes, yes, yes. When we when we do our weight room presentations, yes, absolutely. Uh, after my introduction, uh, I always finish it with uh, "Welcome to Eugene," where we keep it lit. <laughs> <Yeah>! <laughs> that's awesome. Love it. Love it. No, that's great. Uh, you should probably put that in your Twitter bio, Coach. <laughs> hey, I, hey, man, you know what? That's a good idea. I might have to do that. On Oregon. Well, we definitely appreciate you guys. I know you guys have other, other things to do, so we want to let you get to them. I uh, appreciate you. I hey, appreciate you guys. Thank you, Coaches. I love how we started this off. I mean, we just we went hot and heavy and went right in. I I'm, I actually feel like we should just quit the podcast and go work out right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I feel every time I talk to Aaron Feld. Like the the energy. Yeah. Um, imagine being an 18 year old kid, and you're from LA, and you think, hey, I got the best gym in the world right right across right. the street, and my football coaches are all that, and we're all big. And then you go to Eugene and you meet those guys. Right. That's got to fire you up. I think what makes them, uh, you know, and, and just at least from what I've heard and just and knowing, obviously, we've been able to talk to obviously both of them now, you know, they're relatable. I think that's a big part of it. It's instead of, you know, what you heard Coach Feld say there and something that really stuck out to me. I wanted to ask him more, but we had limited time was giving these young men the why. Why are we doing this exercise? Why are mm-hmm. we doing this load? Why are we doing this many reps? I mean, giving them the why you know, really just says, okay, this is why I'm doing it. I understand why I'm rather than, you know, coach told me I got to do, you know, 10 reps of maxing or whatever, you know, whatever they've got to do in their program. Yeah. I think that's a really big part. And I think making themselves because coach Feld and, and, and coach Williams are two different people, which probably in turn makes them relatable to, you know, because you've got a hundred different personalities in that locker room. So they're going to be able to blend a little bit better with those different personalities, and I think that's really important. Yeah, it gets into an analogy that I make a lot of when you compare things to how a, a college operates. And and we look at, say, a college football team of you're going to have coaches that just tell you, hey, run the play. That's all I want is right. run 32 smash, and, and we'll see what happens, right? I get the sense with the Oregon coaches, they're not just telling you, hey, run the play. They are telling you, this is why we're running the play. This is what we want to do in this situation. This is how we want you to think outside the box and adapt so that the next time, we don't even have to tell you to run the play. Right. You've bought in, and you're going to do it. And and we see that with Mario Cristobal. We see that with, uh, obviously, Coach Avalos, who we'll talk about a little bit later, right. new defensive coordinator. But we also see a ton of that in Aaron Feld. 
Yeah, and I think you know you you lend a, a lot of credit there. It's you know you have the coach that says, "Hey, it's my offense. I said run the play, run the dang play." Like you know, okay, what? Why am I running this play? Is it mm-hmm. because you guys saw something on film? Is it you know? I mean, because it works nine out of ten times. I mean, you know, you never know. And I I think you know such a, a fundamental essential part. I mean, we're seeing it a building block of building this college football team, Oregon, the Ducks, if you will, end up being you know, a, a premier, an elite team, not only in the conference, but nationally, mm-hmm. you got to be able to get bigger, stronger, and faster. Oh, yeah. It's a fundamental key to success. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, of course, you got to be able to recruit and bring those kind of guys in here. But if you're building the guys you have now, I mean, you, you have to work with what you have. So if that's the key, you've got to make those guys bigger, stronger, faster. Then guys like Kayvon Thibodeau, for example, notice and say, man, that guy was a you know, three star coming out of high school. Look what they've mm-hmm. done with him. Yeah, imagine what they could do with me. Oh, and especially with college football too. Yes. Like I, I, I've spent all week watching the NFL Combine, and the thing that pops out to me: so many of those scouts know, hey, we can get a guy that he's lengthy, but he's skinny because we'll build frame on him in the NFL. Right in college. A lot of what I think these coaches have to do, and you see it in sort of the motivational tactics of Coach Feld and Coach Williams, you got to fire up these guys to go in on their own. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're 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 building discipline. You're building self discipline in there, and 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 that's something that's that's not just a, a football thing. I mean, that you know, hey. We all know that it takes self-discipline when you're in college to do your homework. Yes, there's nobody there. Yes. To do your homework. Do your, you know, it's, to do your laundry. Right. To do yeah. your, do you, your you dinner. You can either pick I mean, up your Xbox and play, you know, <laughs> play a video game, or you can do your homework. And you got to stare at that remote control and say, "Nope, I got to do this." You know, it's a self-discipline. So I yeah. mean, it's it's a great it's a great life tool. Um, and again, being relatable and, and and giving these young men, hey, this is why we're doing it. We're trying to be as efficient as possible. You know, this is this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Um, you know, again, you're starting to do all these things and you're building and shaping young men, not just, you know, super freaks in football. Yeah. Yeah. And and then ultimately it all goes full circle when you have that guy that for four years he grinded and he learned how to live his life the right way. Then he goes to the combine and he doesn't have to do the drills over and he doesn't make a fool of himself and all of a sudden, hey, that guy gets drafted high and it looks good for Oregon. Yeah, he aces his interviews and you know you see you know you'll and of course you know there are the what I call the freaks out there, the athletic freaks that you know might not ace the interview or whatever, but teams are going to take a chance on. But you know you could be a guy that's floating maybe somewhere in that fourth, fifth, sixth round, go and nail the interview, mm-hmm. and a GM's going to say, man, this kid's driven, yeah, self disciplined, works hard. You know, he's going to come in and, and at worst, you know, and you hear that a lot. There's players have a floor and a ceiling and, you know, the higher the floor, the better off it is. That means, hey, look, this kid might not be the all star on our team, but the floor on him is he'll be a solid contributor yeah. all season long. And we don't have to worry about when he's not on the football field getting into trouble. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, all those things full circle, like you said. Um, really excited to hear from Coach Shaw. Um, you know, I was, I was uh, Coach Williams. Excuse me. I was excited to get him on because you know I've, I've heard a lot of great things about him. He's been a mainstay. He's been here just almost as long as as Coach Feld came in right behind him. And uh, you know, I mean, I I, I just think that we give Coach Cristobal such credit for what he's done at Oregon, but he's got so many great pieces in place behind him. Yeah. And the same for Coach Feld in his department. I think Coach Feld does a terrific job. He's a you know the CEO of that particular part of the equation. Uh, you know, still answers to Coach Cristobal, of course, but he's got great guys behind him. And mm-hmm. you know, we've seen all those guys in and out a little bit. 
Um, I think that's just been such a key component to this team's uh, early success so far. Uh, now looking ahead, because you asked Coach Feld about, hey, how do you transition this program to spring ball? And I thought it really set the scene. Spring football is right on the horizon. Um, are you concerned about anything with regards to spring football? Well, I mean, yeah, I, 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 you have to be. I, I, I think it becomes a self-awareness thing if you're a head coach. I mean, you there. If you're a head coach and you walk into every spring ball or every fall and say we don't have anything to work on and we don't have any concerns, well, you're setting yourself up for failure. You've got to be aware of your weaknesses on your team. And I know we talked before the show about, hey, let's let's at least kind of address concerns of our own. So I don't know what yours are, but here are my three concerns, which, you know, we can go. For, for starters, it's the development of the offense. I, I think, you know, Oregon needs to see some more explosion plays, particularly in the run game. Um, it's not an indictment of Marcus Arroyo. That's not what I'm saying. You know, th- there was a lot of call about Arroyo and his in his offense. I think his offense is, is definitely good enough, and that's, probably not putting it the way I want to. Mm-hmm. I think his offense is good enough. I just think that you need to see it take the next step. Uh, you need it to be executed a little bit better in all phases, in the run game, pass game, catching the ball, lots of different things. Um, not just him, not just Herbert. Uh, one of the things that's related to that, my second concern is the help at receiver. Who's going to step up? Yeah, You got Jawan Johnson coming in. You know, I'm excited, but you still, I mean, let's say let's just even say you've removed Dylan Mitchell you add Juwan Johnson and he's 85% of that it looks like a lateral move yeah you yeah. still need help in the other roles next to Juwan Johnson so you know does that mean one of these you know 2019 signees Micah Pittman somebody you know Josh Delgado is already on campus Pittman gets here in a couple of weeks you, you know will, will it be one of those young signees that come in and step in and and assume maybe that number two or number three role um you know is Braylon Addison as ready as we kind of heard about late in the season, is he the guy that really helps elevate this group overall? Uh, you know, Jalon Red, I thought he had some great moments. I don't want to say he was consistent, but he had some great moments. If he's your number three guy and he's even better, well, of course, then that group's better overall. Is he the guy or is he getting pushed out by a 2019 guy? So those are almost tied together, but, you know, your development of your offense, I think that's number one for Oregon. Regardless of the Andy Avalos, Jim Levitt deal, new defense coordinator, I don't think the defense will take a step back. And even if the defense is as good as it was last year, it's good enough. You know, so for me, it it, it lends more. Uh, but my third and final concern before we get to yours, uh, you got to figure out a way to replace Jalen Jelks, Justin Hollins, and Ugo Amadi. Oh, no doubt. No, I, I think they proved that this week at the Combine, Absolutely. just seeing what Ugo did. It was like, wow, you know, what did, what did Ducks fans miss? I mean, that guy, yeah. there's going to be a hole there. Yeah, no, I, I think Ugo, I, as as good as Jalen Jelks and Justin Hollins are and were, and I do think there are players there that can, you know, whether it's whether it's a blend of Kayvon Thibodeau stepping into that role, whether it's DJ Johnson coming in and stepping into that role who wasn't able to play last year, whether, you know, Andrew Johnson's a little bit bigger and able to play. I think there are pieces there that can replace that. I'm not 100% certain on the pieces there to replace Ugo Omadi. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a guy that was obviously playing safety, was helpful in coverage. He came up and made a lot of tackles in the run game and run support, and he also was asked to blitz in certain scenarios as well. He was a jack-of-all-trades, did a little bit of special team stuff for you. So I'm not saying that it's the end-all because Ugo Omadi graduated and went to the NFL, that's just my concern. Those mm-hmm. are the three. I mean, you got to figure out how to replace those three guys. The receivers, 
um, and the offense overall. Those are my three. What do you got? Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to seeing how Javon Holland steps up in another year there. But the biggest question mark for me, I think back to last spring game, Justin Herbert has all day to throw, seven-step drop, deep strike, looks way down the field, guys wide open, throws him a perfect spiral, and the receiver drops it. Right. And we, we saw that play then, said, is that going to be a recurring problem this year? And it was. It was. It was. Yeah. So you add Juwan Johnson. Right. And we interviewed the young man. I love him. Tremendous. Maturity. He's got the swagger. I think he can be an impact player for Oregon. But like you said, if you just assume that he replaces Dylan Mitchell, and that's a very tough assumption because Dylan Mitchell was a baller for Oregon last year, right? If you assume that Johnson can match that, you still need a number two and a number three and a number four. And I don't know if the Ducks have that. Right. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, it's it's that wide receiver group overall, not just who's number one. It's, mm-hmm. okay, who's number one and then who's number two and then who's number three and will they be reliable? Because one of the things that we heard Coach Arroyo, Coach Cristobal talk about a lot was execution. Yeah. Catching the football is a part. Of, and even in Cristobal's press conference on Monday, you heard him single out the receiver group, you know, obviously talking about the decision to hire, you know, Coach Booknight, Coach Bo, as they call him, uh, in replace of, of Coach Johnson. You know, he singled out the receivers just, you know, not uh, just not running the right routes, not, you know, being able to do the things that they should be doing week in and week out. I don't want to say he singled them out because that's not fair, but he did talk significantly about that particular subject matter. Receivers got to be better this year. Yeah, yeah, and and like you said, um, talking about homework and talking about discipline for for these young men, college is hard. People think it's easy. I mean, maybe it was easy for others. It was not easy for me. I I remember. Um, you need motivation to do laundry, to yeah. do dinner. You need motivation to do homework. You fail classes that maybe in high school you would have aced because somebody's tapping you on the shoulder, telling you when and what and right. what to do. And you don't have any of that in college. And so I just think as great as those freshman receivers are going to be, I love Micah Pittman. I, I really love the the Swiss Army Knife aspect of that freshman core. You can't expect a freshman to carry the team on his shoulders. Absolutely not. No, I mean, I mean, you know, people want to sit there and and single out a Jalen Waddle at Bama or whatever. Yeah, there are some exceptions out there to the rule, but mm-hmm. over overall, if you're if you're you know, we've talked about if you're counting on true freshmen to come in and carry your team, you're in trouble more yeah. more times than not. So, again, I in my opinion, this is the way I see the receiver group, which is probably the biggest concern I have. Uh, for this team headed in the spring is if Jawan Johnson can come in when he gets here, we, we won't know where he's at till after spring. He, he doesn't come in till June, you know, Jawan Johnson, can he learn the playbook? Can he get that down? Can he get some timing and chemistry down with Justin Herbert? If so, can he be a good number one? He doesn't have to be a great number one. He doesn't have to be an elite number one. Can he be, a, can he at least force some double coverage. Can he at least yes. make the defense respect the pass game? Yes. And then can Braylon Addison be a better number two than the number two last year? I think he can. I actually think Braylon Addison becomes the biggest piece to this because last year you were single dimensional in the pass game. Mm-hmm. It was either going to Dylan Mitchell or 
it wasn't going anywhere. Yeah, and there's coverages you can scheme to stop that kind of offense. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think Braylon Addison really becomes the X factor here. If he's able to step up and be a better number two and more reliable, catch the ball, create space, get open, he's got the catch radius. I mean, he's a taller, longer, lankier receiver. So if you're Herbert, you're going to like that, having that bigger radius to throw to. In turn, does that take a little bit of pressure off Jalen Red, who was probably Oregon's second best receiver, at least statistically he was. Mm-hmm. If a guy like that has single coverage and it might be an outside backer or something with his speed, he's probably able to get a little bit more open. And, you know, if he can limit the drops himself, I think overall we are talking about a group that's boosted. And we haven't even talked about the true freshman at that point. That doesn't include yeah. if a Jerron Waters comes in and plays big or a Micah Pittman or whoever else or Delgado or whatever. Um, you know, Lance Will, Will Hoyt's a guy we haven't talked about. You know, nobody's really seen him play much because he's down in Tennessee, was hurt a little bit this year. Now, I remember Mario bragging about him when we had him on a couple weeks back. Well, the last Tennessee receiver worked out fairly well. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and it's not fair to make that uh, assumption about it, but he, he's definitely he's definitely got an SEC caliber catching ability. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so again, if that group can elevate, it, it has to. And I think... The, the best part, I do think that Coach Bo, Coach Booknight will wrangle in that group. I think there was a serious lack of discipline in that room overall. And I think we've even heard Coach Cristobal suggest that. There was a, a lack of discipline in that room. Those guys were missing assignments. Those guys were running uh, the incorrect routes. They weren't even running their routes well at times. And this is an indictment of the season, but that was a constant problem along mm-hmm. with the drops. Yeah. So if that group is more disciplined, that means that they're more than likely in the right spot at the right time. They're running the correct routes, you know, being de- dece- deceiving to the defensive backs. And then obviously to finish it off, they're catching the football when it comes their way. Um, I think Juwan Johnson elevates that room from a discipline standpoint. He's going to be a leader and he's going to be a good leader too. We heard it from him. Tremendous young man. I think Coach Bo is not going to allow some of those mental lapses that maybe we're able to eke through last year. And that's the receiving core. Uh, my other two concerns, and, and maybe these don't flare up in the spring, maybe this is more for season-wide, but depth mm-hmm. um, of you want guys to stay healthy and you want to keep that deep platoon. I think about, obviously, quarterback. That's the one you really can't replace <laughs> no matter what. But running back, tight end, D-line, O-line, positions that had injuries last year that forced guys to play out of position and the ideal would be those those players stay healthy and you get your group the other concern that I don't know how much we'll really know whether this gets fixed or not and something that I'm, I'm actually really optimistic about coach Avalos coming in as a new DC but getting that defense on the same page mentally yeah of it was inexcusable for that team to lose to a freshman quarterback in Utah. And it was inexcusable for that team to lose to an Arizona team that two weeks prior was in the basement of the Pac-12. Right. And they got smoked. Right. That shouldn't happen. Right. And especially this year when your aspirations are as high as they are of this is Oregon trying to make that leap, win the Pac-12. you got to beat a good Washington team with Jacob Eason. You've got to beat a USC team that maybe rallies after right. you know getting their butt in gear, burning down the whole coaching staff. And you start off the year 
with a matchup that could swing your way to the college football playoff. Right. So I got to see that defense play with a, a mental toughness and a focus that they didn't show at times last year. Yeah, you're right. And that, and I think the alarming part of that is that's the second year of that defense. So, you know, they had the same defensive coordinator. Overall, they had most of the same assistants back on defense. And, you know, yeah, at times they were a little banged up, but overall they were pretty healthy most of the season. Where your depth concern, which is always valid, you know, even Oregon's deepest position group, which was offensive line, you saw an injury or two derail that group mm-hmm. to a degree, you know, for four for games at least. And, you know, so like you said, keeping those depth is depth is an issue that Oregon's going to have for the next two years. They had it last year. You still have it this year. Uh, you know, you're going to have it next year. That That is a that is a byproduct of several really very unfortunate years of recruiting for Oregon. Not only did they have misses in evaluations in recruiting, you literally ignored position groups for a couple years back to back. That really puts you in a tough spot. That, that has put Coach Cristobal now in a tough spot. And as he tries to fix it, people associate instant results. But here we are going back to if you're counting on true freshmen to carry your team, you're probably going to be in a degree of trouble at certain times. So, yeah, and I know this can springboard us into the next topic, but, you know, Coach Avalos coming in, and I I love to hire. I absolutely love it. I I know I said as much last week. Um, I think it's a tremendous hire, but it's also going to require, uh, you know, the, the players learning some new things, probably some new terminology. And even though every assistant other than linebacker coach is the same you still are going to have to learn some new principles and that you know one uh, jim levitt really struggled with the back end of defense at least uh, you know bringing that in with the, i think i think ideally he was a really good front seven coach and you heard coach Cristobal and coach avalos talk about that you know being able to tie the front seven into the back seven and basically everybody being on the same page mm-hmm. i think that was where oregon really struggled last year uh was just at least tying the back se- uh, the you know the back four the back seven into um, the defense was something that Jim Lovett struggled with. I don't think Andy Avalos will. Uh, you know, like I said last year, last week, I don't know that Andy Avalos will be at Oregon all that long. Might be a year, might be two years, maybe three if you're lucky. And that's a good thing. And that's a great thing. I, I just I, I, one of the things I continue to preach on is setting expectations, set realistic expectations in in all phases of life, not just football or for your favorite team or whatever. For yourself, for your goals, for your for your employment, for your you know, for your spouse, I mean, whatever, set realistic, and a realistic expectation here is you're probably not getting any more than two years out of Andy Avalos, which is fine, which is great. So, you know, he's going to come in guns blazing. You heard him on Monday say, I want to put everything in right away. We want to hit the ground running. You know, I don't want to have everybody out there thinking. And, you know, a reason for that is, is when you're out on the field and you have to think that slows you, that slows you down. We've mm-hmm. talked about that before. So you want everybody pretty much seamlessly going through your defense I think it'll be somewhat easy to do considering almost all of the assistants are the same. It's just going to be a matter of those because you won't see an, a defensive overhaul. Avalos isn't going to come in here and say, oh, nope, we're scrapping everything and it's it's this way. It's going to be, mm, we're going to do a lot of that, but we're going to kind of tweak this yeah. and tweak that. Yeah. I mean, and I, I'm very optimistic about Andy Avalos. I think he's an upgrade over Jim Levitt, and I think – if you had a checklist of what you wanted in a DC, 
he checked off every box. Yeah. What I'm excited to see with spring football is just are are there going to be any mental mistakes? Is there going to be yeah. any confusion? Because as good as he might be, and as similar as that scheme might be, there are going to be some changes. Right. Right. There's there, going to be things that yeah. hey, I'm hearing it from a different guy, different voice, different verbiage. And I want to see if that hangs up the players any. Well, and I think uh, we can circle this all the way back to the beginning. That brings up uh, the why. The good teachers mm-hmm. will be able to explain the why. And to get I, all that through. Yeah, if coach, and I know that takes time. You can't just sit there and, you know, tell 30, 40 kids on defense, hey, look, this is why we're, you know, calling this, uh, you know, calling this defense or, or, or calling this player blitzing here or, or, or whatever you're doing. You've, you're going to have to take your time explaining the why so that, you know, during practice when it gets to a game, a lot less thinking is involved and just more instinct. Mm-hmm. I think, as crazy as it might sound, I think this defense is actually upgraded. Uh, and not just defensive coordinator. I'm talking about actual personnel, the players. Oh, no doubt. You lose a Hollins and a Jelks and a Ugo, which is really tough to lose. But you've gotten a, a whole year of Thomas Graham and Lenore, who improved tenfold this season alone. Mm-hmm. You got die back. You still have Jordan Scott. You bring in Thibodeau. You get DJ Johnson this year. Uh, we've seen the pictures of Andrew Johnson. So if he can get out there and <laughs> even fifty percent of what he looks like, incredible Hulk. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. I, I think overall this defense, uh, even with the losses of Jelks and Hollins and and Amadi, overall is a better defense. Yeah, for, uh, top to bottom. I think about it this way. Defensive line is one of those positions where it's kind of like running back in this way, where you might lose a Le'Veon Bell, you might lose a, a real blue chip guy that got yeah. all of your touches and all the all the plays on the field, but you can then replace that guy with a bullpen. Yeah, right. You want to keep your defensive line fresh. So, do you lose a Jalen Jelks? Yes. But now you can give Kayvon Thibodeau some reps. You can give DJ Johnson some reps. Some guys that maybe would have gotten buried on last year's depth chart all of a sudden have a couple plays to pin their ears back and see what happens. The other thing about that, too, is I believe, and and we're a week into this, so that's that's as far as we've gotten, but I believe that Andy Avalos will make better use of his personnel. So they will be more efficient. Yeah. I thought there were several players. Jalen Jelks is a perfect example. I think Jalen Jelks was inefficiently used in Jim Lovett's defense. Do you think so? So Avalos, they they announced yesterday, new DC, and he's going to coach a new position in the front seven called stud. Right. Where the way it was explained seems like a hybrid. Yes. Do you think Jelks would have been that stud? I think. I, I mean, he seems tailor made for that kind of role. Probably a little bit slow and a little bit stiff when you're asking him to drop in coverage, uh, ideally, but he would have been good enough. I think it would have definitely been a better use of his skill set than lining him up on the defensive line, you know, to the side of Jordan Scott. Mm-hmm. It would have been a better use of his skill set. I think there are a number of players. I think, I mean, like, Gus Cumberlander is another guy that comes to mind, or even a Drayton Carlberg that I think can benefit from a little bit more efficient use of their. I thought, I mean, Gus Cumberlander was a, a, a he wreaked havoc on third and long. They'd come in and put him at the nose and tell him, "Hey, pin your ears back, go get the quarterback." Mm-hmm. And a lot of times he was able to apply pressure. He was very effective in that matter. Yeah, I think if you can use his effectiveness in more than just third and long, 
you're adding a really good football player to your team. You can use, you know, maybe even let's just say 50% of the time instead of 10% of the time. So, you know, again, I think, you know, one of the – Jim Levitt in a nutshell, he was really good at what he did. Unfortunately, what he did was a kind of a limited scope. It's like, hey, I this is what I run. Mm-hmm. This is what I know. I do it really well. And I believe though those are all facts. Unfortunately, in some of the things we heard in the press conferences, this conference has so many varying offenses. You can't just say, this is what I run. This is what mm-hmm. I know. This You've got to be able to you know, run an even man front or an odd man front or drop seven into coverage or, you know, bring pressure from different angles, not just from your corner. I mean, there's so many different things that I think Coach Avalos says, hey, I'm able to do all, you know, all these things. I have a pretty good handle. And I, you know, his command of the front seven uh, is, is excellent. And the key here is I think Keith Hayward's input from at least the backside of the defense will be put to better use it will be more effective it will be better received if all of that makes sense that's a really good place to wrap this uh keith hayward a guy that last week everybody thought hey the sky is falling he's gonna hate oregon and he's gonna flip a double bird and leave town right uh sounds like he might be getting a little bit more say on things well you know i mean that like that really did get put to bed fairly you know it was andy avalos is hired then everybody's Raising their fists like, yeah, Andy Avalos is hired. And then in the next breath, like, wait, we realized Keith Hayward's leaving. Like, no, that, and I said as much even before the hire, you uh-huh. know, hey, look, it's probably not going to be Keith. It might be this other guy. And then, but don't worry, it's going to be okay. And, uh, and it is, I think this was a very tough decision for Coach Cristobal. And I think it was the right decision. You have awarded Keith Hayward in absolutely every way you can. He's, he's now you know, assistant head coach, associate head coach, whatever you want to call it. He's still co-DC. He is primed and set to take over, whether it be defensive coordinator at Oregon or defensive coordinator somewhere else. He's also being groomed very well to be a head coach of the future. And, you know, one of the important things is if you're Keith Hayward, you're front and center to what's probably a very difficult decision for Coach Cristobal. And then as this year unfolds, if all things go well, you're going to be able to look back and say like, Hey, that, you know, I don't be a head coach someday. And I just watched coach Chris Ball make a really tough decision with my future, but I see that it was the right, you know, as a head coach, it was the right call to make for the betterment of this program. Keith Hayward's going to be better for it. You know, coach Chris Ball obviously will reap the rewards there. You know, there's a lot of lessons to be had here other than, Hey, you got skimmed over, you know, TS Avalos is the guy. I, you know, I don't see that at all one bit. It's kind of, you know, hey, look, you're right there, man. We're You're you're knocking on the doorstep. Let's just, just continue to learn and get better for another year or two, and your time is right there. I like it. And you're going to get paid well in the meantime. And he's going to get paid well. Right, right. Making a lot of green in Eugene. I like that. Um, we've got another guest to, to, to bring onto the pod, and I'm really excited for this one. Yeah, yeah, I like it. I You know, she hasn't... Uh, she hasn't texted yet, so we're just kind of waiting in limbo for a little bit. So okay. this this might be an opportune time uh, for this guest, actually. We can go ahead and mention who it is now. It's, it's Callie Wagner, and Callie's been a instrumental, huge part of the Women in Flight program at Oregon. And everybody's probably going, women, I don't even know what that is. 
well, there's a reason we're having her on so yeah. you can understand what it is because it's actually a tremendous program. You know, Oregon is, is one of the few universities really investing into this type of program. And uh, really, is there any better way to have her in than to talk about women's sports in the meantime because softball's doing softball things. Yeah. Oregon's basketball is doing uh, – and, uh, and this – is a byproduct. I mean, this is a pro. I mean, this is helping mm-hmm. not only put these girls in this position, but it's helping the coaches of those programs lure great recruits to these programs because, hey, look, we've got a women in flight program that nobody else is going to have that's really going to help you develop, uh, you know, professionally and uh, individually. Um, it's just, it's tremendous. And, and I think it's a big part of what we're, I mean, we keep talking about you and I have talked about extensively how well the the softball program is doing, mm-hmm. um, all that turnaround and everything, and then how well basketball is doing. You got a, you got a bunch of all Pac-12 girls on the team this year, and that doesn't even hit on volleyball, right? And and the the miracle that they were able to pull off this year, I I think it's it's fascinating to me when you look at the system of Oregon athletics, not just football but program wide. What are they doing? Um, the Pac-12 has even sort of hung its head on this, yes. this idea that football's good, right? but we want to win at everything, right? Conference of Champions. We're the Conference of Champions, man. Yeah. I mean. And and that right now is being carried by the women's programs. Yes. And I think it's being carried at Oregon. Yes. You look at volleyball, dominant. Uh, women's soccer, Kat Mertz, friend of the station. She, she jumps on Duck Insider all the time brilliant mind and and a very high trajectory there and then women's basketball could win a title this year softball goes to the college world series every year and not just on the field are they having success but they're building these great character high caliber people that are going to thrive in life yeah, it's it's just uh, I I applaud and I respect the the university because this is a totally separate program. You obviously, you've got uh, you, you've got costs associated with it, and mm-hmm. I, I just applaud the university for basically taking this step and saying, "Hey, we we really want to, you know, we want to feature, you know, our women's programs and our our, our you know our women performers and, and really enable them." Um, I I think it's been great because on I mean at the end of the day, here here you and I are on a podcast, which football is always going to reign supreme. Oh, it's king in the it's, it's king in it's, Oregon. It's, it's Football's king, king. It's king in Oregon. It's king everywhere. I mean, it just is. But we're also on a broadcast that where we can talk about women's sports for a little bit. We don't spend a ton of time. We for, and people are still engaged. Yeah, I mean, you see it on Scoop Duck. You know, we run a a a, a, a women's basketball. Oh yeah, no, I and, I check Scoop Duck to prep every week, and and when I do my radio show, even sometimes I'll I'll check you guys and and check out you know just across the landscape of what are Oregon fans talking about, and it's amazing because. You've got like five threads right now that are about, hey, Sabrina just had a killer game, or yeah. here's Kelly Graves post game, or here's Ruthie Hebert, you know, dishing trash, or <laughs> here's the the bracketology how it shakes out right now for women's basketball. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, women's basketball. Um, you know, everybody's everybody's highly interested in so- in softball because of the turnover and, and all that went on there, and 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 excited about it and. You know, people are back in baseball a little bit too because they're obviously clicking as well. Yeah, Oregon baseball. Yeah, and, and and we'll save that one for the end. But yeah, man, they look really good they right look, now. They look really good. Mm. So yeah, well, well, let's. Uh, it looks like our guest might just be delayed a couple minutes. Okay. So let's take a quick break, and we can uh, 
We can wait for her arrival. Sure. That was a fun little break, kicking back for a couple minutes, and now we got Callie Wagner, Director of Annual Giving with the Doc Athletic Fund, here with us right now. Callie, you do so many amazing things at Oregon, and the one thing that Justin and I have really pinpointed today, uh, just sort of leading up to this conversation, we were talking about the Women in Flight program, which started a couple years ago and has really hit off the ground running. Tell us about Women in Flight and the growth that that's experienced. Yeah, the program certainly is near and dear to my heart. Uh, I'm actually a former student athlete from Oregon. I played lacrosse. I like to say it was just a couple years ago, but time is really flying by and that's no longer the case. So uh, the Women in Flight program, really it started by a donor who uh, was really interested in supporting, I mean, he supported all of the university across many years and in many ways. And his motivation was, hey, what are we doing to support our female student athletes, not just to win games, but what are we doing to support our female student athletes in their development as young women when they leave the University Mm -hmm. of Oregon? And he really prompted the question at a football bowl game and saying at the time, you know, gosh, look at this national recognition that's happening with our men's program. What are we doing to promote the you know, outstanding things our female student athletes are doing on and off the field? And uh, at that point, our fundraisers and administrators got to work and were kind of identifying what was happening around the country and what could be done moving forward at Oregon based on kind of what our model looks like and our donor base looks like. And they put a proposal together and at that time, the donor, Dave, and his wife, Nancy Patron, made a million-dollar gift in support of launching this Women in Flight program. Um, ironically, and in the magical way that sometimes the world works, uh, Mr. Sanders and his family also committed a gift uh, to the softball stadium of $10 million in that same year. And so, wow. you know, the, the growth and... Uh, really the amazing investment that was being put towards women's athletics uh, was really kind of at a high at that time. And it hasn't slowed down since. Um, The first year of the program, we had a goal of having 250 donors. Um, People can be donors from $20 and up. We had a goal of 250 donors and raising $200,000. And we reached both of those goals. And every year since, we have upped our donor number. This upcoming year, 2019, we're hoping to have 750 donors total who give in the year, and we're hoping to raise $400,000. You can tell that our numbers have increased throughout the past several years, six years now of the program, and uh, it's just, you know, it's grown into a household name, which is one of our goals over these years, and it's become really familiar to our donors, and it's, it's really a special program that people feel proud to be a part of, feel proud to donate to, and certainly proud of the success achieved based on their support. Um, Is it any coincidence that, you know, this program's kind of kicked off and women's athletics at Oregon has experienced, you know, arguably its best ever period at the university? Is that any coincidence, do you think? I mean, has, has, you know, Coach Graves or, or, or Coach Lombardi or Coach White before that have they kind of expressed how this program helps them recruit or bringing in their young women or even developing their young women when they're on campus? 
Yeah, you know, I um, I certainly want to first give those coaches the credit because what they've done with those programs here at Oregon is just absolutely outstanding. Uh, and I would like to think that uh, the success is coinciding with the growth of women in flight. Uh, but nonetheless, those coaches are just some of some of the best in the business. So we are really fortunate to have them as well here. Uh, the the thing that we've seen with women in flight is it's actually become a recruiting tool, not only for student athletes, but also for the coaches. Um, when we have been in the hiring process for coaches and certainly in the recruiting process of the best athletes, people are very aware of this women in flight program and the resources that we're able to provide for our female student athletes and our women's programs. Uh, and, you know, it's often the parents, the high school age young women, they're not inquiring about career development opportunities and uh, the support that women in flight is able to provide as much as their parents are. And so uh, I have over the years had many times met with recruits and their families to share about the women in flight program and, and honestly the community that is really rallied behind women's athletics at Oregon and how unique that is to the university of Oregon and kind of the competitive playing field. Uh, And additionally, when we've been looking to hire coaches, uh, coaches are trying to figure out, you know, what is the edge that Oregon has that other schools that are also asking for those coaches to come join their programs instead. What is the edge that Oregon has? And Women in Flight has contributed to that edge. Yeah, I think that's a great point to take this, Callie. You've mentioned sort of the edge that Oregon has, the difference that Oregon has. And what I'd love to know is when you were building this program, were there other schools that you you looked at? Are there other schools that compare to what Oregon has? Or do they stand alone in this? Well, I'd like to first say, of course, no other schools can compare to what Oregon <laughs> has. <laughs> uh, you know, I would say that when Oregon, when we were looking at building a program like this, our staff, uh, USC and Arizona State actually had programs that were around generating funds specific to women's athletics. One hosted uh, a lunch, an annual lunch, and that was kind of an annual fundraising lunch event. And the other one was a little bit more around career development. Uh, but we, those are the schools that we had looked at. We kind of pieced the other things that we liked from their programs and then implemented our own. Uh, at this point, you know, when Oregon had built this program, I, I really liked to say that Oregon is known for super innovative uniforms and facilities. Mm-hmm. And we were really kind of practicing what we preached with building a program that was so unique and so unheard of. And it was to benefit women's athletics. You know, people think of all of those flashy, cool things about Oregon athletics. And maybe what they weren't noticing was that innovative style is also being applied to benefit our female student athletes and, you know, our non-revenue generating sports in a really, really big way. So that was that was kind of in my mind how our administration rolled out a program with that same innovative mentality that is used across the whole athletic department. Uh, and then now when... I would say once a month, we have schools that are asking us, you know, the nuts and bolts of how do we build this program? Uh, what things have we learned, good and bad? What have we found to be successful? And, you know, certainly we can give our tricks of the trade thus far. I think that the key is a little bit our duck community and knowing that we have such strong supporters of our Oregon student athletes, whether they're a star football player or 
a star women's basketball player. Uh, our our Duck fans are are extremely supportive of all of our sports programs, and we feel really lucky for that. And I think that that has certainly allowed our program to find a lot of success. So it's and I could be speaking uh, out of knowledge here because I don't have much knowledge to begin with, but uh, <laughs> about anything. But uh, it's it sounds like you know, Oregon and this program that you're overseeing and, and heavily involved in is, is one of the few that's kind of a, a year round, not just a launch, you know, a one-time launch. I mean, you guys are actively doing things. I would, you know, even say obviously on a daily basis. And oh, it, yeah. it sounds like that's pretty rare among probably nationally, not just the PAC 12. Is that fair to say? Yeah. You know, I think that the, the best way to evaluate our commitment to this program as a department is having staff members who are dedicated to it. So we have one full-time staff member, um, Alexis Cross. She's in her first six months in this program, and she was a former student athlete. She was on the acrobatics and tumbling team. And so, you know, for us, and then I'm now overseeing the program, the investment in women in flight is shown by our administration's investment in people behind the scenes to make this program continue to grow. Of course, of course. So uh, for this program to grow, uh, to take that next step, because obviously that's that's just what you do. You want to take that next step in anything you're doing. What is it that that this program, Women in Flight, what is it that you guys are needing in order to be able to take this to the next step, which is where you want to go? Yeah, the program is really, it's built on sustainable annual giving. Uh, Dave Patrone, his vision, the donor who founded this program, his vision was, to have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people supporting women's athletics at whatever level they could support women's athletics annually to build that annual sustainable donor base that will perpetuate this program for years to come. And so for us, our success, certainly, you know, big gifts are a huge success for us, but equally as much a new donor or a donor that we haven't had who hasn't renewed in a few years coming back into the fold um, we keep our, our donor count and we track that really closely and we take it very seriously because that shows the growth in our sustainable annual fund. Uh, so on a day-to-day basis, we're always reaching out to different groups, um, former female student athletes from Oregon, uh, fans, people who have season tickets for women's basketball, softball, volleyball, all of our women's sports, um, families with young girls who are looking up to our female student athletes. Uh, we are asking all of them to support our women in flight efforts on an annual basis and continue to help us show the strength of our supporters of, of women's athletics in that way. Um, best way for, uh, you know, obviously money, money's key, revenue's key, and that, that can, can allow you to grow. What's, what's is somebody new, you, you, you run into somebody on the street and they'd say, Hey, I want to be a, a part of women in flight. How do I help give? What would you tell that person? Well, certainly we can help facilitate any donation, but, you know, the other key to our business is just filling those stands and showing our female student-athletes how much support they have from our duck community. So, you know, we had an amazing women's basketball run and sellout game for the Civil War series. Oh, yeah. You know, the magnitude of having over 12,000 people in an arena supporting women's, a women's program versus three years ago when there were... 700 people in that same arena. Uh, I mean, that's just, it's magical. I'm building a softball facility exclusively for one women's sports program. I mean, those are things that aren't happening around the country. And so 
our ability to celebrate those moments with those people who make that possible. Uh, we hope that we can continue to grow our fans for women's athletics, just knowing the success that they're achieving on the field and off the field. Uh, so celebrate those successes and, and really raise the awareness of what they're accomplishing and uh, continuing to, to push that message. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the the cachet that softball has to play with there, Callie. I was talking with a buddy of mine here in Southern Oregon who works in local baseball, and we were talking about how some of the Oregon baseball players that he works with and has worked with, they're jealous of softball, right? The oh, Ducks yeah. might have <laughs> the, the only softball program in the country that the Jane is getting sold out every night. And I look at just swagger and stature on campus right now, <laughs> as big as football is. And everybody yeah. obviously hyped about what Justin Herbert can do next fall. I think Sabrina and that women's basketball team are bigger. That's amazing. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. It's It has been and you know, the really special thing, and this is where my bias really comes to fruition, but the really special thing is successful programs elevate each other. So when you walk around the hallways of our coaches' offices, you know, you look down and you say, well, shoot, this is what Coach Cristobal is doing. Well, shoot, this is what Kelly Graves is doing. And these programs are kind of continuing to build each other up and uh, it gives the athletes good camaraderie amongst each other to celebrate the wins and continue to build that elite status. You know, I think of Matt Omer with women's volleyball and yeah. his relationship with Kelly Graves is super positive. So, you know, it just kind of continues to build the momentum across all of the sports and it encourages all of the athletes to be successful in their competition. And then certainly, you know, in the Jigwa, the academic success is equally as celebrated here. That's a. It's funny that you mentioned that specifically, Kelly. I, I and I know I've told this story before, not to you per se, but several years ago, I had a football assistant, uh, one of the long tenured football assistants, and and they just weren't recruiting well in that particular cycle. And you know the comment was, you know, man, maybe we need to go down the hall and see what that that uh, that coach is doing in the, in the with the women's basketball program because he's clearly <laughs> you know clicking right now. You know what what's he doing? Why is it working? And it lends exact merit to what you're saying. I mean, they, they're going to notice and probably bounce ideas off one another and, and, and be able to improve their, their own programs. Um, one, one thing I want to ask you, and, and, and I'll say it, you know, I have no problem offering my opinion. I think uh, Rob Mullins deserves a tremendous amount of credit for a lot of the things he does that go underappreciated. And, mm-hmm. and, and I know you're not going to come on here and say anything negative about, Coach, uh, about Rob Mullins, uh, smartly enough. But just how instrumental has maybe his vision and, and uh, you know, kind of enabling this program or even overseeing or, you know, I mean, I just I just think it's one of those areas that you kind of sit back and go, man, how did you know, how did this this guy who has so much on his plate, you know, realize this is something that would be so beneficial to a program? I mean, has he just been super supportive and, and an, an incredible part of this as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, again, I think of. Uh, Rob and and his investment in this program. You know, I think a lot of schools will continue to struggle because they their administration maybe is not prepared or willing to invest in personnel to lead an effort like this. And certainly, you know, the ROI we can we can see based on the dollars that we've raised and um, you know our our tight budgeting to continue to build this program. But you know, I think that. Truly, Rob's investment 
in personnel to build this program has been instrumental. It, it wouldn't be possible with an administration that is not willing. And I've actually heard that from other schools. That's kind of where their struggle has been to develop a program like this, despite right. recognizing the ROI. Um, it takes an initial upfront investment and uh, that's really crucial to get the program going off the ground. Um, the other thing I would say is just, you know, on a, on a day-to-day basis, I've heard Rob speak so many times and very frequently he speaks about the women in flight program and how excited he is to see the growth and how excited he is to have his senior women's administrator, his right hand person, Lisa Peterson really be super involved in the women in flight programming. And I think that that is also, you know, that also shows his investment in his personnel to build this program. Uh, Yeah. You got to mention Lisa. I I know working in radio, Lisa is a top five duck insider guest. She comes on, (laughs) she hits it out of the park and, and you learn about all the nuance and support that she brings to those women's programs. Yep. Well, uh, Callie, I know you have lots of other things to do, and and uh, and we definitely appreciate your time and your insight into this. And it was it was really nice just to kind of hear a little bit more in depth about. I know you and I have had engagements together, you know, and I've and I've heard about it, and I'm always impressed. But uh, I, I do appreciate you taking your time, and hopefully this helps spread the word about the Women in Flight program a little bit. And uh, I'm ready for you to come back down and get your uh, In and Out shake and burger. Oh, yeah. Well, I can't wait to head back down to the Medi, and certainly I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity. Gosh, it's, it's so fun to talk about, and uh, it's kind of a contagious program, so I hope that people can feel our energy and our excitement and our pride in, in our female student-athletes. Awesome. Yeah, I think they, I think they definitely do. And I, and I, I certainly, I, I would, I guess a, a packed Matthew Knight arena definitely speaks volumes to that for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you guys. Have a great day. And I hope to talk to you soon. Will do. Thank you, Callie. Go Ducks. Bye. Go Ducks is right. <laughs> Bye. All right, so just a, a minute to wrap and, and look back at those interviews before we jump into hoops and the spring sports, but Callie Wagner kicking butt. You told me she would. She dominated. She's a stud. Yeah, Callie's a, a, a total stud. She's a, she's, she's a, she's a go-getter. Um, you know, she's relatable, and, you know, obviously that program – is flourishing, you know, in large part due to her and her efforts along with, you know, Rob Mullins and the others. So uh, I I think it's great. I mean, just to see that the women's programs are really at the pinnacle of where they've ever been in, in the, at the university. And to think that, you know, this program, the women in flight programs coincided with all that. It's not a coincidence and the the two go hand in hand. So I I just think something like that takes a lot of vision and a lot of trust and, and, and you do, whether you, like or dislike Rob Mullins, I think you got to give him a lot of credit for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, a lot of kudos goes around to the the Oregon athletics programs and what they've been able to accomplish. Uh, I, I mentioned there with Cali, I love Justin Herbert. I know there's a lot of hype surrounding his future. Heisman candidacy could be the number one overall pick next year, but I think the big man on campus is Sabrina Ionescu. Well, yeah, I mean, shoot, she's just. I mean, I could sit here and gush about my man crush on Sabrina's balling abilities because I could only <laughs> she you know her pinky has more talent than my whole body hey I've, you and I've, me both yeah no I'm a white man's I, Tony I, Allen I, right I here. enjoy basketball but hot darn and, and you know not just her I mean that's, that's a that's a, a hell of a basketball team Sabrina's 
you know, obviously the leader of the team, but just uh, it's really it's been an absolute treat. And I know we're winding down on it. It's been an absolute treat to watch those the, the women basketball team. Just they're, just they're just such a good basketball team, and they you know you could see the joy for the game on the court and. You know, you can see Coach Graves celebrating with an ice cream and, you know, an in-out burger a couple of weeks ago. So, yeah. I mean, just, you know, all that stuff, that, that's a memory for them. I mean, we're, we're kind of getting to live alongside of it, but that's, you know, that's a memory for all of them. It's just tremendous. And that's a good place to take it next. A little cold stone, maybe a burger. Yeah. The ladies have a Pac-12 tournament to think about, and the men have the Washington schools. That's where we're at. I didn't even know the schedule. I, I, I think, flew right into it. No, you're probably right. I don't know it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I honestly don't know it. This I I came in here. I'm like, man, I need to know what's on the schedule this week, and I just haven't been able to get caught up. Yeah, that's a testament to us. I mean, we we yeah. said it at the start. Football is king. It is. We've always got like three pages of notes on football, and then just sort of feel it out. It's not that I'm neglecting it. It just I was you know busy yesterday. I did I did take a day and go fishing, so it was kind of fun, but. Uh, you know, and then had to get some work out this morning to hop in here. And then, you know, I mean, literally we hopped on the podcast and had Coach Feld and Coach Williams, you know, f- right from the get-go. Mm-hmm. We wrap a little bit in the middle. Then we got got some more heat with Callie Wagner. But, yeah, women, women it's we're almost to Pac-12 tournament play. Yeah. So I was right. Uh, women, their regular season is done. And they've got the Pac-12 tournament. It starts Friday. Their first game slated for two o'clock, okay. and uh, number one seed. How number about one that? Seed, yeah, yeah. Big surprise, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So men wrapping up with the Washington schools. Yes, and there was still a slim chance. So they're not going to win it, obviously. No, regular season title is no. is booked and no. sent to Seattle. But yeah. there's a slim chance we see this team trend upward. Well. Uh, if I recall correctly, you're working on playing on being in the top six. Yeah. And then you get a first round bye, potentially in the Pac-12 tournament. Yes. I mean, so you're playing for something if you're the men. I mean, it would definitely be nice to get that first day off, you know, be able to see who you're playing. Um, you know, all, all of that's key. So, uh, not to mention, and here's the thing, I was, I'm not going to lie, I was pretty down on... Oregon basketball there it was looking pretty grim and then they go out and pull out a couple big wins and now you start well okay well it looked like this team had given up and now all of a sudden they're showing the the fight of a tiger out there you know are they are they going to have that March run that we all kind of I I don't want to say expect but we certainly sort of expect them to have that nice little March run and it certainly looks like they're getting into that spot I don't know mm-hmm. yeah I mean, all year the topic has been Dana Altman teams always end the year better than they've started the year. And for as much flack as they've gotten, what we saw from Francis Socorro, what we saw from Peyton Pritchard, what we saw from Lou King and Paul White, and obviously the just the focus of Coach Altman, a guy that yes. early in the year looked like a college professor stuck teaching preschool. <laughs> right. He was just frustrated, wondering, how do I reach these kids? Right, What am I doing here? I think everything's kind of gelled and everything has fit, and they're not going to be the best team in the world. Right. This is not an Oregon team that will win a national title, and that was an expectation at the beginning of the year. They could go all the way. They're not going to go all the way now, but they can focus, they can energize, and maybe, just maybe, 
they can do something crazy in Vegas. They can do something crazy in Vegas. I think even more importantly, you're kind of you're setting the tone for next year. You know, because you know most of these guys, you know, Louis King, Malus Norris, you know, Kenny Wooten, you know, most of these guys are going to come back next year. And if you could put a couple pieces in place around them, you know, I think you're kind of setting the tone for next year. Kind of like, hey, guys, look, here is the beginning of the season. We had some rough patches. I'm not sure that you guys were actually buying into, you know, what, what I was coaching you to do. And now here we are late in the season. You're... You know, we're on on the same page, if you will, a little bit better. Look what we can do. You know, beating Arizona, mm-hmm. beating Arizona State. And granted, it was a pretty poor performance from Arizona State. You still got to go win the, the, the game. You still yeah. got to go win the game. So yeah. um, I, I think, you you know, ultimately, yeah, if you could go in and make some noise in the in the Pac-12 tournament, you know, finish somewhere in a, in a good spot, and whether you win or not is probably inconsequential. You're literally basically kind of setting the tone if you're Dana Altman for next year. This is going to make some of your commenters happy because people always say every week they think I'm an Oregon State fan or that <laughs> I went to Oregon State. Couldn't be further from the truth, right? right? OIT in Klamath Falls, that's where I went. It's what I love. But I think you have to look at the comparative results. Oregon State losing to those Arizona schools. Oregon blowing out those Arizona schools yeah. that has to mean something. Yes, it does. Yeah, I mean I mean it does. It, and again, you're you're playing with a, a, a pretty young team overall. You know, every every win is a confidence boost. Every every win is a notch in the belt for coach Altman to say, "Hey, look, see, when you do what I'm telling you to do, this is what happens." You mm-hmm. know, I I just you know, I think again, I think if you're coach Altman, you're really trying to set the tone for next season with every win with any run you can make in the Pac-12 tournament. I think that's what you're playing for at this point in time. Yeah. So now the ladies, again, Friday, they kick off the tournament for them. And right now a two seed on the latest bracketology, Portland Regional. They'd be right behind Notre Dame. Um, I think a chance to slide into one. Yeah. Because they're right there is the five that I saw. I think if you if you can win the Pac-12, I, I mean the the Pac-12 is one of the best conferences in women's basketball across the country. Yes, and I think if you can, I think if you can win, given your resume of the whole season, you're probably going. And that and that's you know irregardless of what you know the other four do. Mm-hmm. I think I think that's going to put enough on your resume to say, hey, look, and uh, you know I you know sure it's nice to say you were a one seed and all that, but one seed, two seed. I mean, you wouldn't see the other until way down the line anyway, so it really doesn't make much difference. Well, think about this. You blew out Stanford by 40. Yeah. If if you play Stanford in the Pac-12 title game again, and again, that's a top 25 team. Yep. Good top 25 team with Cara Vanderveer, who might be the most well-respected coach on the West Coast in all of basketball, men's and women's. Yeah. You blow them out by 40? (laughs) or Or you just beat them again? Just, just sweep a really good Stanford team. That's a statement to the rest of the country that hey, you got to stay up late and watch this Oregon team play. Yeah, they're elite. There's no question they're elite. Um, you know they've got great players. They play great basketball. Coach Graves, you know, just continues to get better and better every year. I mean, he's a great coach to begin with, but you could just see that he's really becoming a more diverse, more well-rounded coach. I mean, it's it's all right there for the take. And I, I think the women I think the women can get that one seed back. Um, but obviously, as we know, it starts on Friday. Starts on Friday. All right. Now let's look at the spring sports. DeLuca unloads on one to left. Back to the wall. Out of here. 
Pretty good weekend for the Oregon Spring teams. Ducks baseball going to the University of Portland tonight. That game, uh, first pitch at 5 o'clock at Joe Etzel Field in Portland. Good luck getting there. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Huh? <laughs> oh, geez. You ever been up there at University of Portland? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I've been to uh, I've been to soccer camps there when I was uh, in high school and stuff. Clive Charles was still a coach and stuff. And uh, and because they were a tremendous soccer program at the time, and yeah, they were. They're like the best soccer program in the Northwest. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, they they were, they were elite. Um, so yeah, I've been there. I mean, it's a great campus stuff. But yeah, like you said, getting there at five o'clock or even six o'clock or whatever, forget about it. I go up there for the state basketball tournament every year, and I five getting out of Portland at yes. like four o'clock. Any Portlanders listening to this, I, let's just say I don't know how you do it. Oh no. Uh, it's funny. I was talking about this. I think yesterday, uh, yeah, we were just like, man, I'll never move somewhere where I got to worry about traffic. I mean, we were complaining about the two streets we have here in Medford that are marginally. <laughs> yeah, you got to wait five extra. Yeah, they're the marginally campus. busy on you know <laughs> Friday at five or something, and you know here Portlanders have to map out their days around you know eight to nine thirty in the morning and uh-huh. four to six at night or whatever it is. Yeah, I'll never move where there's traffic. No, no. The only time we have any issues here is when they got to lay down spike strips to catch a meth head. That's about it. Okay. Yeah, occasionally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, baseball also going to Hawaii for a couple days. They have, a, a, I think, a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday stand against Hawaii. That doesn't sound awful. No. Yeah. Maybe I should go watch that. Yeah. <laughs> Eight eight thirty first pitch for those because that's on the island. Yeah. So five thirty their time. So yeah, that make that makes sense. No, that'll that'll be fun. That'll be fun. And then like I think like you said before, that's it. Then they get back into Pac twelve play after that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's kind of the last little bit of warm ups or tune ups. Pac twelve play coming up. I think in two weeks for baseball, and then next week for softball. Right now, Oregon ladies. Three game homestand in Eugene. Obviously, we were just talking about the Jane with Callie Wagner. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably going to be pretty packed this week. They go to face Oklahoma State, decent team from the Big Twelve. Yeah, yeah. They won't be a favorite in the Big Twelve, but that's a decent team, right? And another opportunity for the Ducks to test themselves against a Power Five program, yes. which I think really is the only question mark with Oregon softball. Yep. I, I agree. I think Oregon softball, as good as it's been, you're still really trying to find out who you are. Mm-hmm. I mean, just as a team. I mean, are, are you, you know, are you an elite? I mean, they're, I think they uh, were ranked at number 24 again this week. So, yeah, you're a top 25 team. But, you know, we've seen it in, in football. Anybody from about 10 to 25 can beat each other on any given day. So, you, yeah, you're kind of wanting to know, hey, are are we in the 10 or are we not quite there yet? So I think, uh, like you said, even if Oklahoma State's not ranked, you still you got to go beat them, you got to win the game, and then you got to get better at whatever wasn't clicking in, in that series. Definitely. Just seeing how that depth shakes out and how it unfolds. And then uh, one more thing. I, I keep forgetting to mention this. A couple weeks back, one of your commenters said, hey, you know, can you talk about baseball and the growth of that team? And, and I can say this. It's early in the year. But I really liked the the class that George Horton brought in, yeah. the impact that some of those freshmen could make, and I think we're seeing that on display right now. I want to see Aaron Zavala this week, see how much he does. I'm definitely eating crow on Oregon baseball, and I said it last week. I mean, they're, I mean, they're, you know, I, I, it's a, it's a mystery to me just because you know last few years have been really difficult to watch, and then. 
you know, I, I, I think the class that Horton brought in was good, but it wasn't like, oh, this is the program saving class. No, no, on it, paper. It, it wasn't supposed to be. Yeah, like, but it certainly seems like it yeah. is, you know, at least at this point. But again, kind of like softball, still kind of need to see where they're at. I mean, yeah, they've had some, some, some good wins, some close losses to top-ranked teams. You know, they're a good team, but how good are they? I don't think we know just yet. Mm-hmm. They're improved, and that's all you can. That's that's what the expectation should be. They're they're improved from last year, no question. And we'll find out. They play uh, baseball, playing University of Portland tonight, and then going to Hawaii for a couple games. Like yeah. you said, that's not bad. Softball with a homestand against Oklahoma State this weekend. Then they kick off Pac-12 play, and that'll do it for us. Thanks, so man. It's been a good been a good run. Three guests on today, technically, and talked about some football and i think we got it all covered yeah i was actually real uh, the women in flight stuff was fascinating it was it was really you know I've, I've i've known a little bit about it but just every time i talk to callie it's just it's really awesome to hear about that and i think aaron feld might need some sleeping pills <laughs> yeah. that guy's amped he was he was uh, he brought the juice today normally we get a little bit more of a reserved coach feld but he went in he went in today Reserved it Coach Feld. It must have been because Coach. Sure. Will, it must have been because Coach Williams was sitting next to him. I I don't know if reserved is a word I'd ever use to describe that man. No, that's true. Yeah. No, we we <laughs> got we got all we got all Aaron Feld today, and and it was really great to hear about Coach Williams too. I mean, I uh, I don't think enough gets said about. It. I mean, you know, Coach Feld has done a terrific job, you know, branding himself and 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 really, you know, kind of building his own brand. If you will, we hear that a lot these days. You know, Coach Williams does a really good job, and and my understanding is he has a really good grasp of the fourth quarter program. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know we've heard Coach Feld say before he's had to take time away, you know, for certain matters or whatnot. And the great thing to know is that nobody misses a beat while he's gone. Yeah, and that's no knock on him. It just mm-hmm. means the other guys have it have it on lock too. Yeah. So. We, we talked about this last week with Mario Cristobal building a complimentary staff, mm-hmm. and, and you can mirror that with Coach Feld yeah. of his strength staff, complimentary. Yeah, yeah, definitely. No, uh, it, uh, you know, great. It was a fun podcast. We actually, I don't know, we've spent longer. I thought we'd get it, we'd be lucky to get an hour. I know we're over that. Oh, I was, I was terrified. Yeah, yeah that, that's a good point to wrap it. We'll get <laughs> Justin a chance to get some lunch and, yep. you know, all the things we do on a given Tuesday afternoon. Uh, check us out, scoopduck.com, also on iTunes, and we're working. We read your comments about expanding the platforms, getting it out yeah. there. Believe us, we want this thing to be big too. So we're going to try to do that in the days ahead. And, Just thankful that you all listen to us and and help us get better. Definitely. I can do this now.